What's up, everybody? Will Brinson here with the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports' daily NFL podcast. We're going to get to Brady Quinn in a second, but first, I need you to stop what you're doing. Well, don't stop driving or running or anything, but while you're driving and running, go to your browser on your phone or your iPad or you know, maybe maybe jog with the TV. Who knows? And go to cbssports.com slash pick 6, P-I-C-K-S-I-X, and sign up for the Pick 6 Challenge. You compete against myself. Uh, Jason Lacafora, Pete Prisco, Nick Costos, RJ White, all the other experts from the podcast in a playoff pick'em game. So you pick against spread every single game of the playoffs. It's really hard, really, really, really hard to go perfect um, in, in the playoffs. We'll announce the, the full pool winner, by the way, uh, on tomorrow's show. But for now, go to cbssports.com slash pick six and sign up. All right, let's go talk to Brady Quinn. Happy to – oh, no, it's not Tuesday. It is uh, – it is – it is Thursday. Is it Thursday, January the 3rd? Happy birthday to my son, Robbie Brinson. I'm Will Brinson, and this is the Brady Quinn Football Show! Yay! By the way, a happy birthday to Bobby Brinson, also known as Robbie Brinson, but that's my nickname for your son. Uh, I don't know that he knows that I call him that yet, but he will after this birthday. Well, I'll tell you what, for this particular birthday, he appreciates the present you got him, Brady, which was 30 or 45 minutes, depending on how long this podcast goes, of uh, of extra extra. Xbox time because I had to record it. <laughs> so he gets to play uh, Sonic and Knuckles on my Xbox One downstairs. Pretty exciting for him that um, that you're able to get all these retro games, which is pretty cool uh, if you're, you know, like I find it fascinating. And you, you haven't dealt with this yet because of the age of, of your, your kids. And I don't know how much it will matter because um, – like to, I don't know if girls play video games, but it is interesting. Like my dad never played video games with me, and I can sort of show Robbie how to play. Like he wants to play Sonic, I'm like, no, dude, you got to jump over here and land on this spot and create and like and flip this switch. And he's like, oh, right, 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 right. But like my dad could have never yeah. done that for me. I had to figure it out myself. I was a loner. Yeah, yeah, no. So I'm not a nerd. So I didn't play video games. I guess I was like your dad, and uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not expecting to have to teach my kids. About retro games or any video games. This may, uh, this may, I'm this, not, I'm, I'm not a nerd. This may go back to our conversation before we started recording, but this is like, I, you played football. <laughs> I didn't play. Like, I'm like, I'm good at video games though. Uh, alright. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, you didn't play like Mario Brothers growing up or like, like, you know, I mean, ever... you know, the only, the only game I can remember playing with my buddies was Bond because it was a multiplayer yeah. game and it was competitive. You're trying to kill one another. So. Uh, Bond was one of the only ones I really remember ever playing, and uh, that was one that I, I think it was like that was on the Nintendo 64 uh, platform or correct. console. That's correct. Um, so we we played that, and that was about it. It was mostly sports, man. Really, sports and sports and girls and school uh, all intertwined and all that. That was kind of what we were into. I mean, like you know, I I also did sports and girls in school too. But like sometimes you would play video games. We had really play. okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought one of those would be heavily lacking, uh, but I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> video video games and uh, video games and video games <laughs> don't go hand in hand with the girls. Um, not always. Maybe now they do. A lot of times these uh, these video game players nowadays are. Are, are, are rich, so they're probably getting lots of lots of girls, and they're the new athletes. Football players out, gamers in, baby. The Rebel- I don't I don't think that uh, qualifies them as athletes, but yes, they do get paid, and it's a weird dynamic where you've got people who want to watch those people playing games. I don't get that it. to me yeah. blows my mind. Yeah, I don't get that either. All right, we got a lot to cover. We are going to talk about all the coaching news and rumors. Uh, we are it's very conveniently. Um, because of your time playing football in the NFL, you're sort of in a sweet spot right now in terms of coaching candidates who are popping up that you've played for or worked with. So very, very good for you, very convenient for you in terms of uh, furthering your professional career as, you know, insider, scoop master, scoop meister, if you will, uh, but more importantly, an analyst on this podcast. Uh, then we're going to do some New Year's resolutions for the wildcard teams and maybe talk about the, uh, the situations unfolding uh, in, in Pittsburgh with Antonio Brown, which just gets weirder by the minute. Anybody who listened yesterday, um, I didn't go back through and Jason Lockenfora had a great podcast with him, but um, he reported that Antonio Brown requested a trade. He recorded like like an hour after we did the podcast, of course, and, and I couldn't get JLC back on the phone because he has a life and, and video games to play as well. Anyway, moving along to the coaching rumors. you We've talked on this podcast a lot. You've worked with Adam Gase closely. Uh, have you, you know, 
he was your quarterbacks coach, I believe, in uh, in Denver when uh, Denver. Yeah, yeah, when he was uh, he was managing to to formulate a cohesive plan around one Tim Tebow, which is pretty impressive. Um, he got fired by the Dolphins. I think it was probably premature on their part because he did win ten games there. He had to deal with Brock Osweiler. He dealt with a year of Jay Cutler, who came out of retirement. Ryan Tannehill never really healthy. Um, and and I, I get it. You know, you go, you go six and ten, seven and nine in the NFL in three years, you can potentially get fired. Um, but he's he. It looks like he's probably going to get one of these open jobs if he wants it, right? Yeah, and I think there's a little bit something to how this all came about. In, in, in my mind. Uh, or my opinion, I wouldn't have been shocked if this wasn't mutual to some degree where, mm. you know, look, they clearly wanted to change up some things organizationally. Chris Greer is being elevated. Mike Tannenbaum being demoted, yet still with the organization. And, and I think there was probably a sense of this is the direction that we want to go next year. And Adam Gase might be thinking to himself, look, if, if I'm going to be on a short leash and let's say we start off the season one and three and you're going to fire me, Let's just go ahead and agree to go our separate ways now because then you're not going to have the opportunity at that point to join another club and be a head coach. Maybe you're looking at being an offensive coordinator, but you've got to wait the rest of the season to get through that. Whereas now, you know, look, he can, you know, move on and, and look at some other organizations where he can start new or start fresh and, and be in an organization that I think he's not going to have to deal with so much organizational, um, I don't want to say instability, but maybe just too many cooks in the kitchen is the best way to look at it. And, and I think he's going to have the opportunity to do that now. And that's why you hear his name interviewing for some of these other head coaching positions. Do, I mean, is it, you know, you always see the framing of these things are, are always interesting. I mean, Gase was technically relieved of his duty. So I, I get what you're saying, and that makes sense, especially if he's looking at the landscape. He's like, all right, look, the Browns are open. The Packers are open. Um, you know, the, the Jets are probably going to be coming open. The Cardinals are probably be coming open. I mean, that's, you're talking about Aaron Rodgers, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, and Sam Darnold. Three of the rookie quarterbacks taken last year are now out there. Before the draft, Adam Gase and the Dolphins were tied to not Darnold because we didn't think it would fall that far, but they were tied to Baker Mayfield. They were tied to Josh Rosen. Adam Gase specifically was tied to those guys and, and had nice things to say about them. They're good quarterbacks. Why wouldn't he? And then the other guy's Aaron Rodgers. So I think that makes a lot of sense if you're Gase. Like, hey, look, if I can get out of here, I can go get a quarterback that's not Ryan Tannehill. And I think he likes Ryan Tannehill, but it hadn't worked out. Uh, why not try and make a move? If you had to pinpoint one spot that would be best for Adam Gase, where would you, where would you, uh, where would you pinpoint it? Well, I think any head coach would want a chance to coach Aaron Rodgers. You're a legitimate or immediate contender right away for the postseason, uh, and it makes your job a lot easier. Uh, so that would be the first one. And by the way, the, the Green Bay Packers organization has a lot of stability. So sure. that would probably be number one. Uh, you know, look, as much as you look at the Browns and everyone wants to talk about this decision being made based on their personnel, so looking at Baker and looking at some of the other young pieces like Miles Garrett, Here's the difficulty with that. He kind of did that with the Dolphins. I mean, you don't think he took that job thinking that he can make Ryan Tannehill the quarterback the Dolphins were hoping to be. Um, and, and that's where you can get in trouble because the one thing that you can't predict is injuries. And that is what ended up plaguing his time in Miami with Ryan Tannehill and ultimately will probably end up plaguing Ryan Tannehill's career. So I don't know that you want to put all your eggs in that basket if you're purely just evaluating these situations based on the quarterbacks that are there because you don't know what the future holds. So I think from his experience now being a head coach, uh, what, you know, his first time and looking at a second opportunity, the organiz organizational stability, the relationship with the owner, how much that owner wants to be involved and not involved, uh, the kind of resources they're going to be able to have for you and for the players, all those things in my mind, I think are going to be play a, a much bigger factor than maybe they did the first time around uh, for Adam Gase. So, I kind of see it a little bit differently now for him, given that it's the second time around than the first time based on his past experiences. Mm, interesting. All right. Uh, another guy who's been popping up, uh, in, um, in, in these, uh, in these rumors is it, so, but you, like, if you, if you, if you, do you like, do you talk to guys? Do you, you're like, Hey man, where are you going? I want to scoot this. I mean, do you, do you, do you tell me uh, that? Not a great, not a, not a great time to try to have those sorts of conversations. I think you wait till you can talk in person and have a beer and, and that sort of thing. Well, uh, especially, yeah. You know, considering I, I live in South Florida, he, he lives close to here. So 
if I want to go see him, I want to go see him and his family and make sure they're all doing well. Okay, yeah. So you mean you don't? You're not like do you shoot him a text like sorry to hear, buddy, or like do you? I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to get you know. Games yeah, of and, course. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. no. I mean, look, you're, you're humans. I mean, I remember meeting with Adam Gase back when he was with the Detroit Lions organization when I was coming out as a, as a potential draft pick to the Lions back when Mike Martz uh, was there, and I remember having a lot of conversations with him then. And, you know, really enjoying my time with him. And we kept in touch. And he ended up obviously going on and being a coach there. And I would I would run into him every year at a charity event for a wide receiver named Mike Furry, who they had in Detroit, who I grew up throwing to back when Mike Furry was wow. making his way through the Arena League. Yeah, when he was uh, making his way through the Arena League, he originally came from Columbus, Ohio. He had to train at the same facility that I trained in, led by a guy named Mike Durant, was a former uh, Buckeye and Major League Baseball player um, who who had a, a training facility and, and he was he paired us up together back when I was in high school and so I would go down to Ohio State and I'd be throwing to him back when he was working on his forward motion and all the different route trees uh, for an AFL team and 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 then so we kind of kept in touch through Mike Furry Mike Furry's annual charity event at uh, his golf outing. And, and, you know, then from that led to, you know, I got traded for in Denver. He happens to be the wide receivers coach the first year I'm there. And then he's the quarterback coach the next year. But we had a really close relationship for the two years that I was there with the team. And, and really, you know, his – I should have listened to him. I'll kind of leave it at that. He was, you know, trying to persuade me not to sign with Kansas City going into my sixth year in the league. Wow. And he was right. Uh, that was probably the one chance where I had to make a decision – to go, you know, play for a division rival, but also another team where maybe I had a better chance to play instead of maybe sitting behind Peyton Manning for a year or two. And uh, that was his piece of advice was, you know, stick with this, you know, stick with the team. It's going to be special. And, you know, I, I just think I was more itching to play at that point. Uh, but he was right. I, I probably should have stuck around and stuck with him. So we, we've had kind of a unique relationship uh, from just kind of keeping in touch and obviously uh, playing for him. Mm, that's a good. That's good. Uh, good stuff. You also played or worked at least with a little bit, I believe, right? Zach Taylor. The um, I'm scared. I'm going to call him Zach Thomas by accident. Um, <laughs> he is Zach Taylor, by the way, a former Nebraska quarterback, 35 years of age. He is the same age as my younger brother. That's terrifying. Born in Norman, Oklahoma, went to Nebraska, uh, undrafted out of Nebraska in 2007. There's actually, uh, Andy Benoit at the MMQB did a, a cool story, um, where he, uh, he did talk to him and his brother, uh, Press Taylor, which, how is Press Taylor not from Charleston, South Carolina? I mean, come on, Press Taylor? I have no idea. I mean, that's I, a, I didn't even know that was, yeah, I thought it was, it was a must. You have to be from Charleston when that's the case. Yeah, if your name is Press, you're, you should be from Charleston. Anyway, um, he was the quarterback's coach with the Miami Dolphins, Zach Taylor was, and his uh, father-in-law, uh, Mike Sherman, I believe, uh, who was the offensive coordinator there. That's correct. For, in, uh, in 2014, you, I don't, did you, were you on the final roster for the Dolphins or was it just a, I was. It was just training camp. Training so I just camp. kind of spent that month yeah. with him and the team. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, you sort of got to know this this uh, this young fellow, Zach Taylor. Uh, what What are your thoughts on him as a uh, as a potential head coaching candidate? He sort of blossomed into uh, Sean McVay's right hand man, and uh, there's nothing hotter right now in 2019 than the Sean McVay coaching tree. Right. I mean, that, that's going to be part of it, obviously. Um, however, you know, I think your reservations are obviously, you know, has he called plays before, but I guess on the flip side of that is, do you need to? I mean, bottom line is, um, we've seen head coaches before take over where they hire an offensive coordinator and a play caller, they hire a defensive coordinator and a play caller, and they just really manage the team. And I think that's, you know, maybe what we'd be, we'd be seeing from him. But, uh, of course, everyone wants some of the magic that's being created out there in L.A. by Sean McVay. And the question is, you know, whether or not Zach Taylor's got enough uh, of that in him and from his past experience, whether it's, being a quarterback coach in Miami, being around his father-in-law, Mike Sherman, uh, and, and all the other pieces or figures that have been in his life to implement him, like whether or not he's ready for that opportunity. So, uh, you know, from my time spending with him, he's sharp. Uh, he knows how to run a meeting, knows how to run, run a room and install plays. That's not going to be an issue. He doesn't have a problem being up in front of a team and leading men. Um, so, so that's not going to be an issue for him. I just think it's going to come down to, you know, situationally in games, when you've got to be that guy to make decisions, will he be, will he be able to? Um, cause we haven't seen him be in that position before. So, um, you know, it, it, I don't want to say it's an experiment, but anytime you're going with guys like Zach Taylor or another guy who's interviewing for, you know, head coaching jobs 
that just took over play calling duties is Kevin Stefanski. You see his name, the now interim offensive coordinator, or I guess we'll see what, what, what becomes of that for the Minnesota Vikings. He's been interviewing for head coaching jobs, and, and he really took over play calling after John Filippo was relieved of his duties. So, you know, it's, it's always tough to put all your eggs in that basket when you don't really know what to expect. But all you can do is interview these guys and get a feeling based off of that if they're the right guy for the job. You could have made the same case about Matt Nagy who didn't have any experience doing it. And now we see, you know, look what he's doing with the Chicago Bears. And, and maybe even Sean McVay to some degree, even though he did have a little bit of time calling plays. So uh, I, I think he'd be very capable of it. I got to be honest, and, I, and I'm, I'm biased, but I think this is true. Look at some of the more successful head coaches. They tend to be quarterbacks. Quarterbacks see the game differently from a playing standpoint, and they've already been thrusted into that leadership role before where they have to be able to lead men but they also look at it different from a schematic standpoint, from a clock management standpoint, because they're trying to be an extension of the coach out there on the field. So I always side with guys who are former quarterbacks to be head coaches, because I, I think they tend to end up being the best fit from their experience their entire life growing up playing football, being in that position and leading teams. That's actually an interesting point. And uh, just to build on it a little bit, like look at Doug Peterson, uh, Frank Wright, both guys who have had a lot of success. And when you talk about the clock management stuff, uh, not only that, but like being aggressive too, you know, because you and I, you and I have talked about this recently, but you know, Doug Peterson and Frank Wright, now they're coming from, you know, the, the school of thought, like Andy Reid school of thought or wherever, you know, wherever you, you've come from. Um, and, that that aggression is sort of built in there. But I think there's probably more of a willingness to be aggressive in those situations, knowing that you're putting the ball in the hands of your quarterback in a situation that you can kind of understand because you've been there and done that, right? Exactly. And, and I think you're more relatable in that sense, not only to your players, but all of it. And, and you think about how um, that typically works out. I mean, for example, uh, Bruce Arians, what he ended up playing, he played quarterback. You know, there's another guy you can kind of throw into the repertoire that's not only interviewing for it, but again, you know, kind of as a guy who's had success, at, whether as a play call or as a head coach. But yeah, I, I think overall your vantage point ends up being one where you can um, basically, you know, uh, close that gap between the lines of a player and a coach and, and what that player needs to hear, what they need to do, but at the same time, how to get them to do it uh, from your previous experience. So again, I, I just feel like those guys typically are the most educated from a football IQ standpoint throughout the course of their career playing. And then it makes that transition so much easier because of how they see that game. And we're talking about a lead that's league that's arguably led by its quarterback. When those guys are the faces of your franchise, you better have a, a guy who's in that head coaching perspective who understands how to get the most and maximize the talent of that guy. Uh, I'm lo- running through the list of the, Coaches, I think that it's like six of them were quarterbacks. Um, let's see, Sean Payton, yes. Jason Garrett, yes. Uh, Jay Gruden, yes. Doug Peterson, uh, Matt Nagy, and Frank Reich, right? So, I mean, that's a, that's a, I mean, that's a, yeah. How many of those guys are in the playoffs right now? I think, uh, right. I think also, right. I think didn't also, John Gruden, didn't John Gruden play QB as well? Yeah, up? yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was just using guys because I'm pretty, I'm sure that like Sean right. McVay played at a, you know, probably played quarterback at a, you know, whatever level, but, you know, didn't make it to the, didn't make it to the college level. I am not, I'm not sure about John Gruden actually. Uh, I will, I will look on Wikipedia though. I've got now, I currently have, do you want to know what Wikipedia, Wikipedia pages I have open right now? It's a, it's a murder. Uh, I don't, cause that, that's kind of scary to think about where this could go from that standpoint. Really? Okay. I, I have, uh, let's see, John Gruden, Zach Taylor, Brady Quinn. I didn't realize you were a middle child, Brady. That explains a lot. I am. That explains a lot. Does it explain a lot? Well, what does that tell you about me? Well, you, well, you're a middle child with two sisters. So that, 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 like, that means that's good. That's good for you. That's why you developed into, uh, such an upstanding citizen and a, uh, probably, you know, probably good with the ladies growing up. Cause you had a, you know, you had a, you had an older sister to tell you what to do and how to act. You were ahead of the trends when it came right. to, I mean, that's, right. it, that's well, the, a little bit of experimental too on the, my sister's friends, the, the older girls. And then you had my younger sister's friends where then, then you could kind of use the expertise and experience from that wow. to apply to them. Right. Yeah, sure. That, <laughs> Very By the way, and John Gruden was a quarterback and he's a backup, but he did transfer to Dayton, Ohio, where he was a flyer. So he was okay, also no. a quarterback. Come, yeah, you could throw him in the conversation. Yeah, for sure. He didn't, John Gruden didn't make the playoffs, so that sort of ruins that theme, but that's fine. 
Um, right, but he's still a head coach in the NFL. You get my point. And he has one Super Bowl. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I was just pointing out that the um, that the six guys on this list who are former quarterbacks. I don't think Andy Reid was a former quarterback. Doug Marone either. Uh, but the six guys who made. Are the, you sure about that with Andy Reid? Uh, I am. Well, he could have been a quarterback in punt, pass, kick. Because he was the biggest guy out there. We, we've seen that. So he definitely was going back to his time uh, when he was young. He won that punt, pass, and kick contest where he clearly developed faster than everyone else the rest of his life. Um, I think he played tackle, though. I think it was an offensive yeah, lineman yeah, yeah, in, yeah. Uh, in college. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for people that don't know, we were joking. He wasn't a quarterback. Uh, all right, so anyway, so uh, Zach Taylor is a, is a possible candidate. Um, what, do you, what do you think about the jobs that are available in Florida? Because you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Miami Dolphins. If you had to pick one of those jobs, which one would you rather have? To me, they each have uh, fatal flaws to them. I think the Buccaneers roster is better, but the presence of Jameis Winston is both a positive and a negative because you, you really just have one year to figure it out. Jason Light is using a, a search firm, Corn Ferry, to find the next coach. Um, but he's sort of on the hot seat as well, whereas Chris Greer just elevated. You'd think that you'd be tied to him as a coach. A lot, a lot of different moving parts in both of those jobs. I don't think either one is good, but I'm curious which one you would rather have. Well, I, I don't know that I like really either at this uh, standpoint for a couple of reasons. For starters, you know, I'm a head coach who's coming in working with a guy that I have no experience prior working to, at least at this point. Um, so let's say I'm Canada X, and, and I don't really know Jason Light, and I don't know Chris Greer. Uh, makes it kind of difficult. And, and I don't know that I want a guy hiring me that, you know, A, doesn't uh, – I haven't worked with before when adversity strikes, and you know it will with both these organizations, how we're going to be able to overcome that or combat that. So that's my – my first concern is just the guys going to be a part of the hiring and the fact that both, you know, either one of these guys could be gone after a year, depending on how things work out. Uh, I like James Winston. I think he can be a franchise quarterback. So that's a plus for me as far as, excuse me, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, and I, I, I'm with you on the roster. I think they got some pieces that they can build off of. And I think that team can you know, turn around relatively quick. And if you look at the rest of the NFC South, I mean, let's be honest. Drew Brees isn't going to play forever, so there's some upside there. Eventually, he's going to retire. I don't know that you know maybe Teddy Bridgewater will sign an extension and he'll you know end up being the guy to replace Brees one day. Um, Cam Newton and the way things worked out this season seems like they're kind of trending in a different direction there. You know, Ron Rivera could be on the hot seat, so that could uh, all of a sudden be transformed and be blown up here in the next year or two. Uh, and then you look at the Atlanta Falcons; uh, they struggled this year, great due to injury, and maybe they'll bounce back next year, but. You know, they're a team that, you know, hasn't, even though they put up a bunch of numbers offensively, they haven't had a ton of success. So, you know, maybe it's easier for the Tampa Bay Bucks to jump up and be competitive in the NFC South quicker than it is for the Dolphins, who, you know, one, I think you're going to have to start over on their roster. They got some older pieces in certain spots, some other pieces elsewhere. But, but by and large, this is a team that was constructed to be able to work together cohesively that all bought into Adam Gase and what he was looking for, what he wanted. Uh, the, the next guy that comes in is probably going to have some dramatic roster change, and there's going to be a lot of transactions. Uh, you're playing in the AFC East, which is owned by Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, until one of those guys retires. And maybe that happens sooner than later, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen at this point. And then you got to look at the fact that both Sam Darnold and Josh Allen look like they're going to be the part for a while in Buffalo and with the New York Jets. So I think both those franchises realize that. They're trying to you know build around those guys. That's why the Jets are looking for a head coach. And I think the Bills are going to be looking for a lot more talent to help out with Josh Allen. So I think that's actually one that's going to be a lot more competitive in the years to come as New England transitions and as the other two teams continue to grow out around their starters. So uh, Tampa probably by a slim margin would actually be maybe a little bit more of an attractive of a job, but neither one's really jumping off the page to me. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, one job that we mentioned already, the Green Bay Packers, uh, should be exciting for anybody because you have Aaron Rodgers. Do you think that Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay job is enough to woo away Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald, who came out after his bowl game, uh, in which he pulled an upset over, a pretty big upset over Utah, 28, I think they scored 28 points in the, or 21 or 28 points in the third quarter of that game, mostly on defense. Defense, uh, do you think that Pat Fitzgerald would be willing to leave his alma mater and go coach the Green Bay Packers? I think there'll maybe be a conversation, but let's look at what Pat Fitzgerald was. He grew up a Chicago Bears fan. He grew up on the south side of Chicago. Ooh. It's one of the reasons why he wants to stay in Northwestern. One, because of what he's built there. Two, they're compensating him well. Uh, the athletic director there, Jim Phillips, you better believe uh, understands what he has as a head coach. 
and I don't think he's going to let him just walk away uh, due to money. And they've built more resources out around them. That's why they've got the new indoor facility, which is state-of-the-art, looks out onto, uh, what is that, Lake Michigan, and is one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see. So he's got everything working for him right now, and, and I think it's a perfect situation. It would be hard to leave, uh, especially for a team that you probably grew up rooting against, even though you would have the chance to work with Aaron Rodgers, a future Hall of Famer, and it's an organization that has typically a ton of stability. So it'd be kind of a safe place to go to if you are Pat Fitzgerald. And by the way, I think every NFL team should be you know, talking to this guy. He is one of the more sharper guys I've ever been around. You talk about guys wanting to play for him. He's the type of, of guy that every single person that meets him wants to play for him, wants to try to win for that coach. He's just got that sort of personality. So, uh, you know, I, I hope he's getting talked to by more than just the Packers. Otherwise, teams aren't doing their due diligence. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to uh, break down some uh, New Year's resolutions. Finger out sports media and a fan of, oh, my NC State Wolfpack for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run to the one yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip have landed magic in Chicago, Michael in LA and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondry's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former sports center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will probably open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall. Legacies will change forever. New goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. So we talked about some coaching candidates. We mentioned Pat Fitzgerald. By the way, is there anybody else in college? Lincoln Riley signed an extension. Uh, is there anybody else in college that you would want to see NFL teams make a run at, Brady? Uh, Cliff Kingsbury is one that's getting some interviews. Yeah. And, uh, people are talking to him. This is, that's, this, but this is kind of crazy. I mean, like, I'm not dogging Kingsbury because I think he's really innovative and he's, we, we've talked about him on this podcast before, but like, he got fired by Texas Tech. Took an offensive coordinator job in USC, and he might make a leap to a head coaching position in, in, in the NFL. That's unheard of. Well, it, it's kind of odd only because the way everything worked out. But the bottom line was, you know, they didn't feel like he was going to be able to turn things around at Texas Tech. And I think he was probably outdone by his own success early on. Like, when you have the best season of your time there in your first year, then all of a sudden you set the bar and everyone holds you to that standard. That's tough to do. The landscape in the Big 12 has changed drastically. And when you look at how that talent pool is impacted by um, TCU, Baylor, and, and once Texas a moved to the SEC, all of a sudden you're looking at Texas Tech as a Texas school and being drained of their ability to recruit because other places like Baylor and TCU maybe look just as attractive, maybe even more so. And then you've got A&M still and a lot of those kids who just want to play in the SEC and still stay in the state of Texas. And then UT is UT, and then Oklahoma's always going to cherry-pick guys out. So I think that became all of a sudden really, really hard to recruit. And even with Houston coming along with their facilities and everything else, all of a sudden those kids in the Golden Triangle down there and recruiting, uh, especially on the Houston, they don't want to leave anymore. So uh, it became a much more difficult job than I think people realize. And we'll see if anyone can actually turn it around. Um, but look, I wouldn't be shocked because think about it. He's got a head coaching background, so he's done it before. I mean, you wouldn't feel more confident in knowing what to expect from Cliff Kingsbury as a head coach considering his organizational skills and everything you've seen from him in the past compared to a guy that's never done it. I mean, it's a lot of firsts for a guy like Zach Taylor, for example, who we talked about earlier, compared to Cliff Kingsbury, who's done it before. And again, another former quarterback that we're seeing getting potentially interviewed for some of these jobs, and it makes a lot of sense. So I'm not surprised by it. I'll be curious to see what happens because – if he doesn't get a head coaching job or offer in the NFL, uh, maybe there'll be an OC offer to him uh, that maybe he would want to leave for, or he stays put, maybe takes over if USC wants to move off and play Hilton. Mm, yeah, that's actually true. That is, it, it's, I don't know. I, like, I'm not saying it won't work. And I do think that head coaching factor, like having had that experience as a head coach, even at the college level, you know, because there's so many different things that go into being a head coach. 
at both levels than they do being just being a coordinator. You got to deal with fans, boosters, alumni. You know, what I mean, versus you know, you got an owner that you're talking to constantly. You know, you're dealing with the, the administrative aspects of of all of it. I mean, it's it's very complex. Uh, but Kingsbury has some experience. The other guy, Todd Munkin, too. I mean, I don't know how much you know about him. But I think he sort of flies under the radar that he uh, did so well at Southern Miss as a head coach. Um, should should somebody want to try and hire him this time around? Yeah, Todd Munkin's one. I think you look at the vertical passing game. It's something that you know people were raving about in regards to Freddie Kitchens and seeing from Baker Mayfield once he took over his play calling. I mean, shoot, Tampa's been doing that all year long. They're yeah. setting records with both Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston. So he's another guy that could, could get some consideration. I know Lincoln Riley, they just extended him at Oklahoma. But let's be honest, if the Dallas Cowboys lose in the wild card weekend to Seattle, Jerry Jones could potentially still make a move. I mean, it's Jerry, Jerry Jones. Yeah. We never know what he's going to do. Uh, and even though they extended Lincoln Riley, I don't know what the buyout is. I just know this much. The Dallas Cowboys are the most valuable professional franchise in sports, like in the world. So if that's the case, I think Jerry, he's going to have enough money to be able to get something done if he wants to. That's that's a very good point. Something weird always happens in the coaching season. Uh, all right, let's talk about these wild card. Let's talk about these playoff wild card weekend. Let's just, let's just do the teams that are playing this weekend. We got two games uh, each day, Saturday and then Sunday. That for the math majors out there is eight total teams. Let's set some New Year's resolutions for these teams. Uh, we'll start just in order of the games as they are being played. The first game up. The Indianapolis Colts at the Houston Texans Saturday at 4:35. That's on ESPN slash ABC. Give me a resolution for the uh, one, one, one each for the Colts and the Texans. My resolution this year for the Indianapolis Colts is um, they, uh, they they go into 2019 much similar to what they did in 2018, wanting to do all they could to help their quarterback Andrew Luck be successful. Right, so the drafting, the continually signing guys out around them helping to support him with a good defense and all that, and hiring a head coach that's a former quarterback and a guy who can help him maximize his talent. So what, what that means in this sense as they head into the playoffs is uh, just don't F it up. You know, <laughs> Jim Irsay, like don't give a pregame speech. Don't interject yourself into this team somehow before the game. Like everything's going really well right now. Just stay out of it, all right? Keep just behind the scenes doing stuff to help your quarterback and eventually he'll help you win a Super Bowl. So that, that's the New Year's resolution for uh, Jim Irsay and the Indianapolis Colts going into 2019. Uh, uh, for the Texans. Yeah. No, go ahead. That? No, I was going to say my mine oh. was very simple for the Colts. I should have offered you one team and then interjected my own, um, but I'm an idiot. You give me both. I'll I, take and run with it every it, time. It, it, as you should. I told you to. Uh, my, mine went for the Colts very quickly. Don't shave. These beards look great. Luck's beard is, is, is very lucky. I mean, like, it's exactly what we expect from Andrew Luck. Frank Wright looks like, uh, your, your, uh, your English professor from, uh, English, like, 430 or whatever it was. You know, you were talking about, uh, reading about, he's dishing out a test on, um, on, on some book. I don't, I don't, I didn't really pay attention to college. And then, uh, Adam Vinatieri looks like a, I, 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 like a 72 year old hipster granddad. It's incredible that white beard he's got going on. Uh, so <laughs> what would you have for the Texans? Uh, well, my, I think for the Texans would be figure out a way uh, to not have Deshaun Watson running for his life. Yes. Right? Like, I don't know what it's going to take, but I don't, I don't know. Either that or just, you know, buy into it, buy into like track shoes and just have him wear that out there. That, that would be the resolution <laughs> moving forward. But um, it's got to be one of those two things because it, it's out there. They, they seem to know that that's one of their issues and they just uh, they keep letting it happen. So, I'm kind of waiting for that moment when they uh, actually figure out a way of helping out their quarterback, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I don't understand why they won't protect him. And then not only – like, they have a bad offensive line. I get that. You do what you can. But Bill O'Brien keeps running him in the red zone. He ran him three straight times uh, in a meeting, in a fairly meaningless game because you can look at the scoreboard and figure out that the Patriots are going to win. He ran him against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense three straight times in the red zone on the goal line – you know, and he's gonna take a shot. What are you doing going to the playoffs? How, how do you see, how do you see this game playing out, by the way? Because I, I think it's fascinating. Andrew Luck has been great in the postseason when he's gotten there. Uh, has, certainly has some losses to the Patriots, but that, who doesn't? And then Deshaun Watson has never played in the playoffs, but man, was he awesome in the college football playoffs. I, I wouldn't, I, I think the Colts are gonna win, but I would not count out the Texans and Watson simply because he is on the field. 
Yeah, you can't bet against Deshaun Watson on a big stage like that, right? Like we've seen it time and time again. He just shows up. He's a he's a gamer. He's a baller. Um, whatever you want to say. But the other thing is, is, I don't know that the Colts can necessarily exploit the weakness, which is their offensive line. True. So the only thing that, that that could stand in the way of the Texans probably is the fact that they don't have Demarius Thomas. Uh, Kiki QT was back practicing this week. We'll see if you can help out a little bit in the passing game, but but maybe just more because they're a little bit devoid of some playmakers. Uh, but they're playing at home. Uh, although the Colts did win the last match that they played this year uh, in the Texans' house, and obviously they gave up a game earlier this year to the Houston Texans in their house. So I'm not really sure what you derive from that, uh, but it just adds to the intrigue of this game, in my opinion. I'm with you, though. Uh, the history of Andrew Luck playing in the postseason, combined with the fact that they're just a better team. This yeah. is just a different look now. Ryan Kelly's back practicing this week. He should be good to go um, at center for them. So, all signs are pointing to me that this one being really, really close, but it going in the favor of the Indianapolis Colts. I just think I trust Luck more in making a play at the end of the game, even as good as Deshaun Watson is. Uh, I just don't trust that offensive line. Yeah, so yeah. I think by a slim margin, I think the Colts are going to take care of business. And by the way, the Colts, they went one and one against the Texans, but they, it should have been two and oh. Frank Wright, you know, I mean, they, they were playing bad early. I get the tech, you know, that was the Texans first win of the season, but it could have easily been two and oh, two and oh for the Colts in those games. Seahawks, Cowboys, Saturday, 8-15 on Fox Sports. I don't understand why Fox gets two games. No, Fox only gets one game. That's right, in the in the, in the wild card. Um, CBS only gets one, but it's a good one. We'll talk about that in a second. What would be your resolution for the visiting Seattle Seahawks? Well, it's to figure out their, their special teams issues. My mm. gosh. I mean, they gave up a big return last week. They gave up two block punts. This is a team that is you were You were calling that season. You were calling that game, weren't you? Yeah, and I was flabbergasted by the fact that this team's rolling. They've got everything going in the right direction. Then all of a sudden, this these gaffes on their special teams come out of, out of nowhere. Um, I mean, literally, two block punts could have been more than that. They've got one of the best punters, uh, pro bowler in the league in Michael Dixon. I believe it's the first rookie to ever make it as a punter into the pro bowl, but he's that good. What doesn't help when you've got guys who've got their hand on the football and still on your foot? Um, so they've got to figure that out moving forward. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure how they go about doing that in a week's time. But uh, anyway, that would be my resolution because otherwise, I mean, we could be talking about a team allowing their special teams to stand in the way of them making a potential Super Bowl run. Like they kind of have that 2012, 2013 kind of feel to them, the way they run the ball, the way they play defense, and then the way Russell Wilson can close out games. So that's my resolution for the Seahawks. I don't really have a good resolution for the Seahawks, to be perfectly honest. But um, I, my, I guess my resolution would be run Russell Wilson a little bit more, use him, use his legs in the playoffs a little bit more by design, and let him uh, bust out. Like I wouldn't, you know, I don't know that Brian Schottenheimer will do this, but I mean, if they uncorked a bunch of read option stuff on the Cowboys, I don't know that Dallas would be entirely ready for it. And you could revert back, you know, use the read option early, let Russell throw downfield, just get them off their heels early on, or get it back on their heels, excuse me, early on, and then utilize your running game. Because I think that if you just come straight at the Cowboys defense and try to run and go helmet to helmet, I don't know how great it's going to work just because the Cowboys defense, the strength of their defense is stopping uh, the run. What would be your resolution for the Dallas Cowboys? Oh gosh, I mean they, they need to they need to figure out a way. It's tough because it'd be alleviate the pressure off of like Jason Garrett, and Dak Prescott. I think both those guys are constantly playing in a pressure cooker, yeah. and I don't know if it's just Jerry Jones constantly coming out and having to talk and and having to you know put out make these comments and make these statements that lead the media in one way or another. Uh, I think Dallas Cowboys fans are hungry for a team to go to the Super Bowl. Like, I get that. And they're curious if Jason Garrett can get in there or Dak Prescott can get in there. But it doesn't help when your owner starts to speak up and you feel like their job security is constantly on the chopping block every week. So uh, it it would be some way of figuring out a way of relieving pressure on those two. Uh, But it may be just as simple as their owner not talking anymore uh, to the media afterwards. Like, maybe we only give them, like, one – chance to speak with the media a week and it has to be <laughs> after Wednesday. Like we can't allow him when he's getting tuned up during a Sunday during one of their games. We can't allow him to address the media after the game or any 48 hour period afterwards. Cause you and I both know that guy could probably drink a lot and there's a chance that um, he's still hung over or still under the influence a day or two afterwards. Uh, yeah. You don't actually get hangovers from Johnny Walker blue. 
That's fun fact about Johnny Walker. Is that true? No. Is that true? No, that's not true. Of course you get on. Yeah, I mean, like, the hangover's probably better because it's nicer. You know, you know, remember, like, in college, I mean, you know, I'm sure you didn't drink in college because you were, a, you know, the star of a football team uh, with national championship aspirations. So you probably had a clean clean living and whatnot. Football players not known to party at all. Um, but... You know, if you drank Aristocrat or something like that, you had, you know, you felt worse than when you drink these, the cleaner, nicer stuff like Tito's vodka, better than Aristocrat vodka. You know what I mean? Right. I'm not even sure what Aristocrat is. I just remember having one of the worst nights of my life after drinking vodka out of a plastic bottle. I'm that, not sure what it was. That was, Ari- was Polish. That, that was Aristocrat, basically. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. Like I, that night did not end up well for me. I think I, uh, I think I went to like a soccer formal with one of the, the soccer girls and uh, I just I, I remember getting sick outside in there uh, the the soccer house backyard like throwing up and just pulling an Irish goodbye and then not talking to her until like a week later. Wow! Do you so like as the as the as like the as QB one on campus? If you like if you puke outside a soccer formal, do you just is it like oh, bro that was crazy last night or or are you a little bit embarrassed about what happened? Hundred percent embarrassed. The good thing is no one knew because oh. I, I kind of went to a secluded spot. And made sure that no one knew. Like, I still had the presence of mind to be like, this is not a good look. I'm embarrassed, not only for my Irish heritage, but ashamed because my dad would be upset about this. Mm. So I'm going to go ahead and find a spot behind a tree where no one can see me. And then uh, people will just be like, all right, we don't know where he went, but yeah. uh, he's not at the party anymore. Yeah, Irish Catholic kid at Irish Catholic school playing quarterback for Irish Catholic football team and, like, puking off a little bit of vodka. That didn't play very well. Um <laughs> moving uh my oh my, my i don't know how we got here uh my res- i like your college stories by the way they're fun uh my uh <laughs> i have a bunch of them too but i can't tell them um my uh resolution for the cowboys jason garrett's got to be more got to be tougher he's got to be tougher got to be more aggressive he needs to do what he did in that week 17 game and i have no idea why the hell he was playing any of his players in the week 17 game when like zeke elliott and zach martyr sitting out but but dak prescott's playing but be more he's going for it on fourth and two at midfield didn't care freewheeling jason garrett do that in the playoffs man go be that guy because you will win a playoff game if you do that but if he turtles up and uh gets tighter than as jerry jones would say a mosquito sphincter then he's gonna end up losing that playoff game <laughs> can i speak to something real quick though because sure. i asked pete carroll about that knowing that they're in the playoffs the following week in the wild card round it was either the five or six seed and then at one point during the game it seemed pretty evident that the bears are going to beat the vikings so the seahawks became locked into the five seed they're yeah. going to play dallas so why wouldn't you pull russell wilson especially since both left guard and right guard were out and ethan Posick and jermaine Effetti were really struggling in that game russell wilson got sacked probably four times maybe five at least pressured and, and hurried and hit a bunch too. And, and his comment before the game to me was, look, I am mentally conditioning this team uh, to be uncommon. Common teams have ebb and flows. They have ups and downs. He goes, that's not how I'm mentally preparing this team. He goes, every single time we're here, it's a championship opportunity. He's like, you were with us back in 2013 in the preseason. And he's like, did, did I treat those games any different than you think I treat an NFL game? I said, no, it didn't seem like it. I was like, those preseason games felt like it was a regular season game. He goes, because every single time we go out there, he goes, I want our team to feel like it's a championship opportunity. He goes, the more times that they can have the same approach to every single live game, regardless of preseason, regular season, postseason, the more predictable we will be at doing that. He goes, and that makes us uncommon because common teams, they turn off that off switch. He goes, we're not going to ever turn it off. We're going to play our guys. We're going to try to beat that other team. And if we get up by enough, then maybe we'll put our back in them. Because other than that, though, because we take care of our guys during the week, I don't want to take my foot off the gas. He goes, and I don't want them to hit that off switch. He goes, I want them to carry that momentum all the way to a Super Bowl. So that was his justification for it. And I got to tell you, he was pretty persuasive. Like, I kind of came out of that meeting thinking, he's right, man. Like, I remember being here and thinking, we've kicked the crap out of every team in preseason that, that year. And that may have seemed meaningless to everyone on the outside, but to us, it gave us the confidence that it didn't matter who was in. It didn't matter what point we were in a game. We were going to kick the crap out of our opponent. Mm, interesting. So do you so you like Jason Garrett playing uh, Dak Prescott too? Well, that one's a little bit different only yeah. because, A, you'd like to give your backup some experience, which, I mean, look, the Seattle Seahawks could have made the same case for Brett Hundley. He's a free agent after this year. Maybe you want to see what you have in the guy. Um, but they didn't do that. But the difference is, one, you don't, I mean, if you lose Dak, you don't have any shot. And then outside of that, it's it's kind of the conversation of maybe we're still in the evaluation process of him, and they mm-hmm. want to continue to keep seeing him play and get more film. 
So maybe the part of that, you know, it's that as well, but they were locked into the four seeds. That's the only other thing where it didn't make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, you only can dress 46 guys, so you can only sit so many guys. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, again, quarterback position, different story. But some of those other spots, you know, if you're going to sit a couple guys, you may be able to sit as many as you can, uh, even though, again, in theory, you can't sit everyone because you can only dress 46 on a 53-man roster. Uh, okay, you know what? We might let's skip resolutions for the uh, the Sunday games unless unless you want to give them really quickly because I'd rather ask you about the Antonio Brown situation um, in, unless you want to talk about the resolutions for the Chargers and Ravens and, and Eagles and Bears. You can run through it very quickly if you want. Yeah, so for the Chargers, it would just be you know for Philip Rivers like run the football and mm-hmm. stop the run because that's what you didn't do against Baltimore the first time in your house. Now you have to try to do that. Uh, this you know next week coming up against the Baltimore Ravens, so it's take some take some of the load and work workload off of Philip Rivers' shoulders and, and help the guy out for God's sakes. Maybe they can win a game and then get on a roll in the playoffs, so that they'll be able to win a Super Bowl like uh, like you predicted last year for them. Uh, and then for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, it, it's to me, in my opinion more about uh, just taking care of uh, you know home field. Like I, I know Baltimore's a tough place to play and all that. Their resolution of Lamar Jackson needs to be continually letting him do what he's doing. He doesn't need to develop as a passer right now. Just be be happy with what you have, right? That's your 2019 resolution. Be happy with what you have. Keep putting in that guy's hands. Let him make plays. Ride this all the way to a Super Bowl. Uh, and for the uh, Bears and uh, Eagles? Uh, for the Eagles, it's uh, go ahead and uh, just start getting ready for, for 2019 <laughs> regular season. I just – I, I, there's not much that there's not much in my mind. Like, look, could they keep this game close? Yes. Nick Foles got banged up ribs. Maybe it's Nate Sudfield. Maybe not. Either way, it's a tough defense to go up against on the road. And uh, you know, for for the Bears, I think it's like, look, Bears fans, be okay with people being critical of the Bears. I know you guys haven't been in the AFC, NFC you know picture in quite some time, and you you seem to take issue with people saying that your quarterback's not the best uh, of this young group of quarterbacks that are taking the league by storm. That's okay. He doesn't have to be because your defense is playing like a Super Bowl caliber defense. So stop getting so butthurt about the criticism. <laughs> you know, be okay. Be okay with you know Mitchell Trubisky not playing his best football yet. He's got a long career ahead of him. He can continue to get better through the postseason, uh, and your defense can carry you. That's okay. Learn to be okay with the criticism because again, you've got he's got a bright future ahead. But these Bears fans, man, they're the most sensitive people in the world right now. Act like you've been there, Bears fans, even though you haven't. Actually, you were in the NFC Championship game like five years ago, Bears fans. Grow up. Uh, all right, let's continue. Speaking of growing up, Antonio Brown might need to grow up or get out. Uh, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, he reportedly, or according, didn't reportedly, according to Jason Lockenford, demanded a trade. Uh, these seem, seem to have been confirmed. Requested. Requested. Requested, yeah. Demand, yeah. Requested. He, he basically said he think, and the vibe you get, you got from Mike Tomlin, I know Aditi Kikabala of the NFL Network pointed this out, and she's, she's always sort of embedded there in Pittsburgh. Um, sort of that, like, she thinks that Tomlin's going to be, I mean, that Antonio Brown is going to be gone. I mean, do you, do you think the Steelers Brady will actually trade Antonio Brown? Well, it depends on what the offer is for him. Like, as much as we want to make this, like, emotional and, you know, talk about, you know, how, you know, what took place going into week 17 and all that stuff, here's the bottom line. If they can get the right offer for him, yeah. I don't think they're just going to outright release the guy. It'd be a stupid move. They're not dumb. Um, so if you can get the right offer for him, and if you feel like whatever has occurred over the past two weeks is, is you know, is something that you can't repair. And, and I don't know if that's a relationship between Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown or Mike Tomlin and Antonio Brown. His press conference was one of the most vague, odd things I've heard in quite some time. Uh, I wasn't really sure, sure what to discern from it. It sounded like there was potentially an injury involved. He did show up in the injury report with like a knee injury Wednesday. There was a lack of communication between a player and a coach who've been together since 2010. So that's kind of baffling. Uh, and, and he wouldn't go as far as answering whether or not he felt like the, you know, player quit on his team. And then he talked about how he hadn't seen him since the week 17 game, which is nearly impossible because every <laughs> team has exit physicals after your last game of the year if you're not playing in the postseason. You go in, they check you out. If you're Will Brinson, they probably give you a hernia check. And then, you know, you basically go talk to your coach and, you know, you, you talk about next season or if you're a free agent, you basically say thanks and maybe I'll see you, maybe I won't. And that's it. But that happens usually Mondays after a Sunday game, week 17. So to say that he hasn't seen him or talked to him, it seems hard to imagine or believe. 
But again, who knows how that worked out? I've, I've been in places where guys have skipped uh, those, those end of year meetings and, and physicals and all that uh, when, when a coach has already been fired or if, if they, if they were a free agent and they were, knew they weren't coming back. So uh, maybe that is how things work out. I don't see that being the case. I think there's always been drama in Pittsburgh. They typically do a really good job of, of hiding it, not showing it. Um, so I, I think this is something where I would be shocked if he was still on the roster and still uh, their number one wide receiver next year. Yeah, to me, the, the problem is like right now it's, well, you got to trade Antonio Brown, but then you start really diving into it and it's, it's, it's a lot harder to pull off than you would think. Now they can do it from a cap perspective. There would be a $21 million dead cap hit for Antonio Brown in 2019. It would give him some flexibility in 2020 in 2021 because there wouldn't be a cap hit. But the idea that this team with Ben Roethlisberger, with the Le'Veon Bell situation that we still don't know how it's going to play out, he could be on the transition tag, uh, a good offensive line, you know, a defense that got better in 20, 2018 than it was in tw- after Ryan Chazier got hurt in 2017. I, you know, it's just hard for me to imagine they're just going to shop and send Antonio Brown packing. Although, you know, I think somebody floated, at least maybe in our, like our Slack chat, it was like, all right, call, call the, uh, call the Cardinals and offer him Antonio Brown for Patrick Peterson. Who says no? To your point, and, and, and it would maybe be a, a fit as far as what you're looking to accomplish. Uh, and, again, it, maybe it'll take a player swap or maybe it'll take first-round picks, depending on if you're Pittsburgh, how you look at it. Uh, but, again, it has to be something that's really going to wow them or floor them, unless things are just that bad. And, again, I think they've dealt with a number of issues from Antonio Brown off the field for a while. Like, this isn't anything new. I, I think what's new is the fact that Pittsburgh did win the AFC North and they did make the playoffs. So that's why we're talking about it right now. Typically, they're preparing for an opponent, and this stuff gets swept under the rug. But because their destiny was taken out of their hands in Week 16, and then they are basically playing in hopes of getting in, I'm sure the frustration mounted. It equated to Antonio Brown you know, having one of those fits, and it ended up spilling into the media, and now they're kind of getting wind of this. But, again, I wouldn't be shocked if he wasn't with this team next year. It's just it's something to write about, something to report about. It's something that we like to do now in the media when this sort of stuff happens. And really, it's it goes on with a lot of other teams too. Uh, they just have maybe a better way of hiding it. Be glad that you didn't play in 2018, Brady Quinn. But uh, yeah, instead, you you don't want to be playing football right now. You'd much rather do your four hour uh, daily, ra- four hour multiple time a week radio show and, and a podcast with me. As uh, as my yeah, st- with Will Brinson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As my stepfather in law said over Christmas, like, so what's Brady doing now? I, he does a podcast with me once a week. Ooh, man, things are, is he doing all right? Things are really things taking, are bad. things are yeah, bad. Things man. are bad. It was a, it was a very tough Christmas for the <laughs> Quinn household with, uh, having to, having to deal with Will Brins. I'm surprised we didn't, we didn't do a podcast that day, did we? Uh, I think we did one the day after Christmas. <laughs> no, did we take a day off? We actually did it. We, we oh, we did it on Christmas Eve. We recorded on Christmas Eve. That's right. Yeah. Cause yeah. Uh, Christmas Eve. That was it. It's been a long, it's been a long couple of days, man. Glad, uh, glad to get back into yeah. 2019. Maybe start getting hey. a little. Did yeah. you get my uh, gift, by the way? Um, like, did I get a gift for you, or did I get a gift for? Yeah, me? no, I sent you a gift. Did you receive my gift for Christmas? I have not received your gift. Oh, okay. Well, keep an eye on it. It's in the mail. It's about uh, let's say twelve inches long or so, oh, and uh, oh, it's in a somewhat more rectangular but you know skinnier box. But oh, uh, you can take and use it for your own personal use, or you can throw it onto a football field <laughs> in the stands. You're the best, Brady. Talk to you next week. 